church, we get to behold the Lamb. We get to behold Christ, right? And every page of Scripture that Christ is there to behold and rejoice in and embrace and celebrate and give our lives to. Um, it's a joy to, uh, to do that with y'all. And um, I think especially thinking of our, our, uh, our series through John of uh, the Lamb, right, on, on, every, on every page uh, to all the more see even easier uh, for us. And uh, praise God for that. Eager. Uh, tonight's passage is in John 1, uh, verse 19. John 1, 19, and we're going to read through, the, the, uh, through 34. All right, starting in verse 19. This is the word of God. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, him, what then, are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He said, he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out on the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. And they asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you, stands one who you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, he, John, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water, he said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. I want to pray. Let's pray with me. Lord God, I thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the privilege that we have to read it. And... um, God, I'd, I pray that you'd help me. God, help me to be faithful to your word. Help us uh, to do what John is calling us here, uh, to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God, help us to do that tonight. And by your spirit, Lord, we will be helped. Amen. 
When you make a big decision, um, how do you approach it? You, let's say you're going to buy something big, something real big, right? Something that's costly, something that is going to make an impact in your life or at least in your budget. How do you, how do you go about it? Spend some time thinking about it, do a little homework, dig into it, get the facts right, try to understand, is it worth it? Some of us spend weeks doing that, right? All the research, digging into it and knowing all the facts, some people days, some people, you know, even hours, but you still, uh, you really think it through. You try to understand, is, is this going to be worth the investment? Well, you ever pay attention to those product reviews, you know, like on, on Amazon or whatever, I'm always looking at those of, you know, how many stars does it have? Uh, what's the ratings there? Uh, what do people say about this product, right? Are they satisfied? So I see some head nods of like, oh yeah, those, that's the first thing that I go to. Um, right, you want to know that they made the right choice, right? That, that uh, they found out that it was actually worth it, that it's the real deal. Basically, you want a witness, right? You want, you want somebody's firsthand testimony before you commit to a decision that, that someone was a witness and they, they can testify that there's value that's there. Well, as we go through the Gospel of John, we find out that the author, he's pressing us to make a decision of a lifetime and a decision that's going to last for a lifetime to commit our lives to Jesus Christ, to commit our lives on the truth that he is the son of God. And it's a decision that costs us everything. But John's not gonna do so without giving us a witness as well. We remember uh, the purpose statement in John 20, 31, I've written these things so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, right? He wants us to go all in for Jesus. And so how is he going to persuade us to do that? That, it, that it's a reasonable thing, even a necessary thing to do? He gives us a witness, All right. So tonight's passage, as one of the very first scenes opens on the life of Jesus, Interestingly enough, it doesn't open on, the, on Jesus. It opens on a first witness, and that's John the Baptist. We hear who he is and what his testimony is concerning Jesus. And that's really the two parts that we'll see tonight. First, we'll see what kind of a witness John is, and then we'll see what does his witness say. What does he say about Jesus? So who's this witness? John the Baptist. I want you to imagine with me, all right? Kids, you ought to be really good at this. Imagine that it is 30 AD, all right? Picture it. I've got a little illustration there for you. It's 30 AD, and a fiery man wearing camel's hair is set up outside of town, about 30 miles outside of Jerusalem. And with authority, he calls for everyone to repent. He even tells our priests and the Jewish authorities to turn from their sins. So many people are coming to him. 
And it seems in just a short while, all of Israel is going to know of this man and going to know of his message. He's bold, he's prophetic, and he's calling our people to do something dramatic, to be baptized. Sure, Jewish converts would be baptized when they came to the faith, but Jewish believers? What is he getting at? What, is, what kind of a statement is he trying to make here? Who does he think he is, the promised king, our Messiah? These would be the kind of conversations that, would, that was floating around the temple and in people's minds as they're talking about this guy that's set up outside of Jerusalem. And it's with these kind of thoughts we see in verse 19, what happens is the Jewish authorities, they send priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him this question, who are you? Who are you? And as John replies back, it's kind of an interesting uh, statement. He says that he confessed, and he doesn't deny, he confessed, I'm not the Christ. It's like he knows the intent of their question, right? He knows the kind of things that are on their, on their minds, and so he just goes straight for it. I'm not the Christ. I'm not your, your guy. Um, they ask him, who are you? And he tells them who he's not. <laughs> I'm not the Christ, but super clear about that. First bullet dodged, right? He's not claiming to be the Messiah. So the second question comes. Verse 21, and they ask him, what then? Go straight for the second question. Are you Elijah? And he answered, I'm not. And their question might seem kind of strange to us because this was 800 years after Elijah was walking this area of the world and they're asking if he is that guy that, was here 800 years ago, so kind of what, what gives? What are, they, what are they asking about? Well, we remember, it was just a month ago, right? In Malachi 4, 5, God promises that Elijah is going to come, that he's going to send Elijah to prepare the people for the coming Lord. And these Jews knew their Bible. They knew this prophecy. They didn't know what it was going to look like or what it would entail, Um, But as someone like a a figure like John the Baptist comes up, they want to know, is is he claiming to be this guy that we're waiting for? And here, though, John and them, they're not really agreeing on the intent of their question and and what their question is getting at is um, that often happened, right? Like in the Gospels, as Jesus is interacting with the Jewish authorities, uh, often the the people are so fixated on their own interpretation of what this prophecy looks like that they didn't get that it was being fulfilled right in front of their very faces, right? So fixated on their own interpretation. And we don't know exactly what they meant. They, maybe some people suggest that when they heard that prophecy about Elijah coming, that they're actually thinking Elijah himself. It's Elijah... Um, incarnate, I guess you could say, his soul inside of another man, whatever they meant, John answers negatively, no, I'm, I'm not that guy either. That's another option that they can scratch off their list. He says, not me. So strike one, strike two, question three comes. And they say at the end of 21, are you the prophet? So something I notice here, they don't say, are you a prophet? 
They say, are you the prophet? And that's important to point out and, and notice uh, because, and, and you'll see like if you're reading the ESV or uh, NASB, a lot of the versions will even capitalize prophet. Uh, what they're getting at is the prophecy that Moses gave in Deuteronomy 18, 15 of someone like him that would come that had this close relationship with God that spoke to God face to face, right? And that would speak for the people. Uh, they would speak to God and, and, and bring God's word to the people. Uh, we can look back and know in Christ, those two roles, the Christ and the prophet, are really in one person, right? They're looking forward, right, to what these prophecies would look like, and they don't get that. Um, but anyway, third time in a row, John tells them, no, no, I'm, I'm not that guy. I'm, I'm not the guy on your list, right? Not me. And so after three strikes of these specific questions, this group is going to take a different approach. And uh, kids, I was thinking about the game Guess Who, right? You know that game, right? You're, you're, you've got your guy, they've got theirs, and you're asking, is your guy bald? No. Does he, does he have glasses? No. Uh, and, you know, on the game goes... And, and what you're trying to do is give a little, as little facts about your person as you possibly have to, right? And it seems like that's the kind of game that, that John is playing with them, right? He's, he's, he's not wanting to talk about himself, obviously, um, because they have these questions and he's giving them little one-word uh, practically responses to their questions, right? Doesn't want to overshare. And so finally, this group gets at this question, as they give up on that approach. And in verse 22 and 23, they say to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And so we notice this response that he gives them as they say, come on, what do you say about yourself? Is even his response is interesting. The way that he describes himself, not as a prophet, though he, he was, uh, not as a messenger, though he was, he says, I'm a voice. I'm just a voice. He, what he's doing is he's getting the emphasis off him and moving the emphasis on his message, right? What he's proclaiming get ready for the coming one, that the coming one is the Lord, and ultimately that it's in fulfillment of what Isaiah said. Specifically, it's Isaiah 40, verse 3, is John, when, when he gives this answer, he's not even saying his own words, he's giving a direct quote out of Isaiah 40, verse 3. And this is where we really start to pick up on John's tactic here. His MO uh, is... In, in all of these not me responses, what he's doing is, and even in this quote, he's saying, it isn't, it isn't about me. It's about the one that's to come. My job is to point to him, right? So when they're asking all these questions about him, he's doing what he was supposed to do. I'm, I'm gonna point you over to somebody else, the coming one. That's the one that you should be focused on, even the Lord, right? So all... John is doing and his tactic that we see is not me, but him. Not me, but him. I'm just a voice. 
But he, the one that's coming, he's the Lord. He's the one that you need to be prepared for. This is what John's doing with them. And so again, they go to their next question. Verse 25, right? They continue to press them and ask them then, so why are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? All right, they continue to press him as their witness in this uh, kind of a formal examination of him. And they're basically saying, well, who gives you the authority to baptize and do these dramatic things that you're doing? if you're not any of those guys. And they obviously haven't picked, it up, picked up on his tactic, right? What's he gonna say? Not me, but him, right? So verse 26, John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. He goes for the same, not me, but him tactic. And you notice even the, the ministry that he has of baptizing He's minimizing that as something that's not really all that important. You know, I'm just baptizing with water over here. You know, but him, this is the guy you need to be focused on. This is what John is doing. And I kind of want to stop here and talk a little bit about this is so much more than just a tactic, a tool for John. This is his heart. This is where it's coming from. This is what a faithful witness has in mind is that the one that he's testifying about, it's worth all the focus. That Christ would have all the focus, that he would have all the attention, that John would rather be forgotten about if it meant that people would remember the Christ. I wonder, Christian, are you this kind of witness? What kind of witness are you? Is part of your goal to look good in sharing Christ? Is it self-promotion or looking important? Being a witness but still coming out where people are impressed with your abilities. Thinking about the opinions of others in giving the witness. Or is your prayer and hope God, may they only see you. May I only see you, God, as as you're calling me to speak for you. God, help me forget about myself and point to you, to focus, to be so focused on you that I just forget about what I'm doing, that I forget about who I am or what people think about me, that I'm be so focused on you. This is a heart of a faithful witness, right? And this is what we see in John. We can't have both. <laughs> we can't have both of that. Uh, I'm going to come out uh, looking better in people's eyes, and Christ is going to come out looking better, better in people's eyes. That's not a faithful witness, right? It's only got to be on Him, and that's what we see in John. It must be God. May they see you, right? Don't let me get in the way of people seeing you. And I'm telling myself that as well tonight. So let's look back at the text at verse 27. He goes on and says, him, the one that stands among you that you don't know, even he 
who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Saying, I'm nothing compared to the one that's coming. Back in that time, uh, in a household, a, a wealthy family would have uh, servants. A uh, common thing, right? Help with housework, help with the, with the family business, uh, that kind of a thing. And uh, as you went into someone's house, your feet, your sandals were dirty, and you take them off before you go in. Did y'all hear that, kids? You take your shoes off, your dirty shoes off before you go in, right? <laughs> kids should be nodding their head. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that job was considered too low of a job for a servant uh, to help someone do. So a servant was not expected to take someone's uh, dirty shoes off and help, their, help them off. That was a job that was for a slave, too low for a servant to do. When John says, then I'm not worthy to untie uh, the sandals of the one to come, what he's saying is, I'm not even worthy to be called a slave to the one that's coming. I'm not even worthy to touch the dirt on his feet. Can you believe that? A prophet of God not even being counted worthy to touch his sandals? Who is this one that's coming? Where is he at? He's in our midst. Those had ought to have been the questions that were just going through their minds, right? Racing through their minds. Who is he talking about? But we don't see it. We, we see instead in verse 28, this scene closes up and we, we don't know if they really hang around to investigate what John is talking about, who he's pointing them to. We don't see that in these next verses. Were they too focused on just getting the answers to their questions? Did they realize the kind of witness that God had given them in John? That nothing would get in the way of him telling the truth? That he was that kind of a witness? that he would lay down, he would rather lay down his life than to not tell the truth. And, and that's, that's what he did, right? We, if we know the story of John the Baptist, telling the truth was more important to him than getting thrown in prison, right? Telling the truth and calling Herod to repentance was more important than his own life. That was the kind of witness that John was. That speaking the truth Telling his testimony was worth more to him than his own life. Could they see that when they interacted with him in these questions? And we would do well to take to heart, right, the witness that the gospel of John puts before us to hear, to take in the things that he says, knowing how important it was for him, the kind of witness that he had, right, of how much he loved the truth to to speak it and how he would do so no matter the cost. Yet even with such a witness, it appears the Jewish authorities that they missed the glory of God right there, right there when, when John says he's in your midst. 
Friend, do you know we can, we can act the same way? The glory of God can be right in front of us. God right there, ready to change our lives forever. And yet we can miss it because we're so focused on our own plans, so focused on the things that we have going on, so focused on our bank account, on our troubles, you name it. So focused on these other things that we miss the testimony that's right in front of us, right, that God calls us to. God, soften our hearts, right? That we just don't go through their motions, that our eyes would be open to behold him, right? To see the one whom God is calling out to, that he would have all of our attention. So as that scene closes and we, we learn the kind of witness that John is, now we next focus on what he says about Jesus, So the next day comes, as it says in verse 29, the next day, and John is gonna shift his focus on these verses and he's gonna give his full testimony, the rest of it, I guess you could say. And we get an answer to the questions that the religious leaders should have been asking, right? And it becomes crystal clear who John wants to focus his ministry on, on Jesus. And now's our chance to see, what does he say about Jesus? Verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. This very first verse as, John, as, as Jesus is introduced into this gospel narrative is the same verse that proclaims that he is the Lamb of God, that it's, in, that it's by him that all the sins of the world can be taken away. Verse 30 tells us that he realized that it's he, that Jesus is the one that he spoke about before, that Jesus is the Lord that's coming, that points us back to those previous testimonies that he gave. And then verse 31, John tells us that he realizes that Jesus is his purpose, that his purpose in baptizing was to reveal Jesus to all of Israel. This is as clear as it gets what John thinks about Jesus, of who John says that Jesus is. John says that Jesus is the coming of Isaiah's prophecy. He's the Lord coming in Isaiah's prophecy. John says that Jesus is the one that he can't even be compared to. He says that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the prophet, that it's Jesus. So clear, it's Jesus. Jesus is the one that we need to be focused on and and fixed on. This is John's testimony. And before we try to understand and and unpack some of those statements there, let's finish uh, his testimony that he gives in some of these other verses. In 32 and 33, John bore witness, so he's continuing his witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, 
But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So what we see is John recount the story of what happened when he baptized Jesus. That something miraculous happened. That he saw the Spirit of God come and descend on Jesus just like a dove would come and descend and land on a branch. And even more miraculous that it, not just that it came upon Jesus, but that the Spirit made his home with Jesus, that the Spirit dwelt with Jesus, that that the Spirit of God remained with him, lived with Jesus and stayed with him. In verse 6, we see who it was that actually sent and commissioned John. It says there was a man sent from God whose name was John. So God is the one that sent John. Here in verse 33, we see how he understands that it's Jesus is the one, that it's God's spirit that testifies, right? God told him what to look out for, for the spirit coming, and it's the one that's going to rest on him. That's how John would know this is the Christ. This is how you can know John, right? And so he's telling us, this is how I know that it's Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the coming Lord, that he's the prophet. He's the Messiah that we're waiting for. This is how God revealed it to John. And so we realize in this, as he's giving this testimony, this is actually more than, than the testimony of John. It's the, it's the testimony of the, the Spirit of God showing him who the Christ is. It's the testimony of God, the Father, who's commissioned John and said, here's what you're going to look at. And this is, says, this is exactly how it happened. Just like God, the Father, told me. The Spirit indicated, and I saw the Son, right? And so the big takeaway on all of this, 34, I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Now we're ready to unpack some of the things that he's saying. What, of, what does this mean? What, are, what does this mean, some of the statements that he's talking about? First, what's it mean that Jesus is the Lamb of God? Well, it means what it says. Verse, verse 29, that Jesus takes away the sins of the world. It's telling us that Jesus, he's the sacrificial lamb of the Old Testament that Jesus is the lamb in Isaac's place, right? The lamb that God would provide in Genesis. That Jesus is the Passover lamb of Exodus, where God passes over from judging his people. It says Jesus is the lamb of Leviticus, right? That the day of atonement points to. That Jesus is the Lamb of God that all of the Old Testament pointed to and is fixated on. He's the sacrifice of sin. What those lambs could only symbolically remove, Jesus can actually remove sin. He is the only one, right? And some might wonder how can one man remove the sins of another man? How, how can that? How can that be? 
Romans 6.23, it tells us that the wages of sin is death, right? It's, sin calls out for a payment. Jesus, as a sinless man, can pay for the sins of another. But because Jesus is also God and has infinite worth, Jesus could pay for the sins of a thousand worlds of man. As Jesus went to the cross to die, he died as a willing sacrifice, offering his life for the sins of humanity, right? His blood for ours, his life in our place, his payment for ours. Jesus is the lamb of God. What does it mean that Jesus had the spirit remain on him? What, what is that talking about? Well, in the Old Testament, as we saw the spirit of God come upon prophets and individuals, it was always for task, right? It was, it was a word that needed to be said. It was a, uh, an empowerment or strengthening that needed to happen, right? You can kind of think of Samson and how God's spirit would rush on him and he would be able to fulfill this amazing task, um, but it wasn't permanent. That's not the picture of the old, that the Old Testament gives. It was a promise that it pointed to. With Jesus, this was entirely different. His relationship with the Holy Spirit was unique and never seen before in, in all of history. Jesus, it was entirely different with him. It was like the Spirit came to make his home with Jesus. And this is why John says when he talks about his baptism, right? I only baptize with water, but the one that's coming, he baptizes people. He immerses them or literally covers them with the spirit of God. And that's why, that's why John so says, I, I, I only baptize with water compared to Jesus. Jesus fills people with the Holy Spirit of God. Right, And so every believer, every person that has come to trust in Christ is filled with God's spirit. Something that only Jesus can do. And lastly, what does it mean that Jesus is the son of God? It means that Jesus is God, right? Jesus is so much more than the prophets that, that the people understood what the prophet would be. He's so much more than what the people understood the Messiah or the Christ would be. Jesus is God with us. What the people couldn't anticipate, right? And would be such a shocker to them. And this is what John is pointing to in, in, in holding out there that Jesus is so great, so glorious that the one that's referred to as the greatest prophet who ever lived, John the Baptist, isn't even worthy to touch the dirt on Jesus' feet. Jesus is the Son of God. And as we conclude, I want to I ask you, I want to go back to that purpose statement of the gospel, right, of this gospel. John said, I, 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 write, I wrote this that you would believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that in believing you would have life in his name. 
Do you believe it? For those that haven't trusted in Christ, I, I want you to ask yourself and to be honest with you, what would it take for you to believe it? What kind of evidence would you require to believe that Jesus is what the Bible says that he is, that he is the son of God? I'm here to tell you that the witness that God has given you is so credible. A witness that cared so much for speaking the truth that he would rather give his own life than to not tell the truth about Jesus. That took the death penalty before he was willing to not tell his story. This is a witness that corresponds with the message of the Bible and the scriptures. It's a witness that corresponds with God himself as we saw. The writer of John asks you to make the biggest commitment of your life, to give your very life to Jesus. To stake everything on this truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that Jesus is the Lamb of God. But he doesn't ask you to do it without giving you such a strong testimony, such a strong witness. In John, in the scriptures, and in God himself. So I'm gonna call you, I wanna invite you to do this, to do what John is pressing us to do, is to believe wholeheartedly in the claims that we saw here today, in this claim that Jesus is the son of God and to give him your entire life. And in doing so, to experience life, to experience the forgiveness of sins as your sins are removed because Jesus paid for them in your place, right? As you are accepted into the family of God and now walk with Christ, not as an enemy, but as a friend, as even a brother, as it says, that God could be your father, that you experience the life of of knowing and walking with God. For believers, I want to ask you if you could define your relationship this way. Would you use those words to define your relationship with God, that it's life? Maybe for some, you'd struggle saying that, right? You'd say, I don't know, right? Have you waned in joy? Have you plateaued in your faith, perhaps? Maybe for some, you feel like you're on cruise control, just in life, going through life. I want to encourage you to look anew to Jesus, to do what this, what this whole gospel is pointing at, to get us to focus on him and to take John's word, behold, behold him, behold the Lamb of God. To look new to Christ, to remember that you're not even worthy of being his slave, but that he left heaven to serve you and to be your sacrificial lamb, right? That we wouldn't even be worthy to touch the dirt of his feet, but that he would come and take his sins. He would would take our sins upon upon himself and, and bear our punishment. What a God, what a savior. Right? May, may this awaken us a new church. 
dwell on these things. If, if that's you, if you would say, I, 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 have a, I have a hard time being able to call my relationship with God one that is full of life. Dwell on these things. Take John's testimony. Behold him. Think about these truths. These are the greatest truths of our faith. And when we consider them, when we meditate on them, embrace them, they'll lead us to do and to live the kind of life like we see John, to make Jesus our only testimony. So let's respond to this witness today, tonight. Let's pray. Lord God, your word is so good. God, we praise you that, God, you have sent your son. God, that you call us to behold yourself. God, you have made wonderful things. God, you have created amazing things, and, and yet, God, none so awesome and amazing as your son. So, so wonderful, the uncreated son, Lord, your son. God, we have the privilege to look on him. God, you call us to look on him. Thank you. God, help us to, we pray. God, and we pray for Christ to change every aspect of our lives. God, we pray for the life that you want to give us in your son. God, may that, may that overflow, God, into the lives of people and, and around us. God, for those that have not uh, put their faith in him, God, we pray that you would move them tonight. Thank you for the life that we have in him. And God, we pray, make us witnesses like John. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.